You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Download past shows and become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. I think that one of the important roles that the festival can play is, in a sense, celebrating cultural diversity through the lens of the Jewish experience. And in a place like Maine, celebrating diversity feels like a mission that maybe you wouldn't have if you were in New York or Los Angeles or Chicago because it's already there. I just like to be involved in a visual medium like film, and which is what perhaps attracted me to making films about art in Maine. I mean, that really has become my life's work, and for that, I'm very grateful to have that opportunity. We end up meeting all these unbelievably funny people, good people, smart people, creative people, because of the film festival, and that's what the film festival brings to the state of Maine. We find it to be an illuminating part of the cultural life of Portland to to go to these films. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 131, Maine Jewish Film Festival, airing for the first time on Sunday, March 16, 2014. Today's guests include Louise Rosen, Executive and Artistic Director with the Maine Jewish Film Festival, Richard Kane of Kane Lewis Productions, and filmmaker with the Maine Jewish Film Festival, and Larry Rubenstein, retired rabbi and supporter of the Maine Jewish Film Festival. Now in its 17th year, the Maine Jewish Film Festival has presented over 300 domestic and foreign films and sold over 32,000 tickets to both Jewish and non-Jewish attendees. This year, the Maine Jewish Film Festival will be held from March 22nd to 29th in venues throughout Greater Portland, as well as selected sites throughout the state. Today we speak with Film Festival Artistic and Executive Director Louise Rosen, filmmaker Richard Kane, and retired Rabbi Larry Rubenstein, an avid supporter of the Maine Jewish Film Festival. Thank you for joining us. I first heard of the Maine Jewish Film Festival several years ago when one of our original sponsors for the radio show asked me if I wanted to go to a reception. And I wasn't able to make it to that reception, but now I'm pretty intrigued and I'm wondering if I need to spend some time um, not only at the reception for the Maine Jewish Film Festival, but also watching some of the films. Today we have two people who are quite involved in the Maine Jewish Film Festival here to speak with us. We have Louise Rosen, who is the executive and artistic director for the Maine Jewish Film Festival. and Richard Kane of Kane Lewis Productions, um, who has created a wonderful film on jo- John Imber, which will be shown at the Maine Jewish Film Festival coming up in not too long. Louise is the uh, executive and artistic director of the Maine Jewish Film Festival. She has over 25 years of experience in international television and film, and in that time has worked on projects that have been Oscar, Emmy, Sundance, pre-Italia, and international Emmy-winning films. And I'm loving that, Richard, you're over there giving Louise a big hug for this, because I know that this is a lot of work, and it's quite, uh, it's quite something. 
Um, Richard is a filmmaker with 30 years experience working on documentaries for National Geographic, Discovery, CBS, and the Natural Resources Council of Maine, to name a few. His most recent project is Maine Masters, which is a New England Emmy-nominated series about some of Maine's most distinguished artists. So the... We're setting the bar pretty high today, coming in to have this conversation. I really appreciate you're both coming in and having it with me. Thank, thank you. Thank Thanks you, for having us. It's, it is great work that you're doing with the Maine Jewish Film Festival. And I'll start with you, Louise. This is something that has been a passion of yours. Well, film has been my focus for really uh, almost my entire professional life. So uh, in one way or another, um, uh, it's been sort of at the heart of all the work that I do. Um, I've been working for the festival. Uh, this will be my second festival. I started in November of 2012, so I'm I'm early in my main Jewish film festival experience. But uh, Dick and I know one another from the filmmaking environment in Maine, and uh, he invited me to serve on the board of the Maine Film and Video Association, which he's the chair of, and that's how we got to know one another, and I got to know his work and he mine. So. It was natural at the point that he had a film in progress about a main artist who was also Jewish and uh, influenced in his work by his Judaism that we would talk about it. Neither of you are originally from Maine, but you call Maine home now. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about that transition for you, Richard. Well, I say that I'm going to die here, and maybe that's in part what this film about John Ember is about. Um, each of our own mortality. Um, when my friends came to visit uh, me in my uh, new main home, they said, you got to heaven a little bit too soon. So, and I really feel that way. It's, uh, it's deeply my, uh, my home now. I wouldn't consider living anyplace else. I've met John Imber and Jill Hoy, and and we have an article coming out in Maine Magazine about the two of them and their uh, time as artists and also his uh, journey through ALS. You're working on a film right now. I've seen the beginnings of this film, but it's in process, and that must be very interesting to be kind of going through this process with him. It really is very um, difficult. Um, process to be going through with John. First of all, I have to say that uh, it's, uh, I'm very grateful to the Maine Jewish Film Festival to have the confidence that this film um, will be worthy of being in this festival and premiered there. Um, Louise saw an 18-minute uh, uh, trailer uh, about the film, and uh, she was taken by it. Um, but this is the first time that I've ever been uh, committed to a festival where the film is not yet completed. Um, but I, I think it was important to get the film out as soon as possible so that John would be there to see it. We're not certain at this point whether John and, and, and Jill could be there um, because of John's condition and uh, his ALS has progressed uh, rapidly. And uh, I was just there with him uh, yesterday and uh, witnessed... Uh, him continuing to paint. He had a, had a um, feeding tube um, put in a, a week ago, and um, he's had a setback as a result of that surgery. Um, but um, he got up, and with the help of two wonderful young men who are also artists, 
just he, they raised him up out of his wheelchair. Um, his arms have no strength, but they're um, they put a pen, uh, a paintbrush in his left hand, and with a hook attached to his right hand that holds the the paintbrush, he's still painting. And I witnessed him laughing, in spite of the fact that he's uh, um, deteriorating rapidly. So it's a very difficult uh, um, film for me to witness because I feel so close to him. I feel like his brother. Um, I don't often kiss my subjects, but I kiss John. Um, he's, uh, he was born in the same town that I grew up in. We're the same age. We're the same cultural heritage. Um, he has an older sister. I have an older sister. There, there's just so many. His parents... Uh, went to Florida in the, in the winters. Mine went to Florida in the winters. His father taught him how to play golf. My father taught me how to play golf. So we have all these, um, you know, similarities um, that I really feel that he's a, a member of my family. So it's very, I can't imagine being, actually being a member of his family, being a, his sister and being his wife and son and actually seeing how, um, ALS being such a cruel disease just takes all of his, um, you know, um, how he deteriorates so, so rapidly. So it is difficult. And this is something that I think that the Maine Jewish Film Festival is putting out there. Are, the, are these stories in a very visual and um, compelling way? Well, I, I know Richard's work, and uh, I, I had a very strong sense when I looked at that sample material and from having spoken to him uh, about Imber, um, I knew that he was going to make a really fine film. His, his personal and emotional engagement in the subject, um, putting that to one side, Dick's also a great filmmaker, so I, I knew that what we would get would be selfishly an opportunity for the festival to have a world premiere of a film about a really important artist, um, a man whose, um, whose stylistic interests and influences cover both abstract impressionism and um, uh, portraiture, and uh, that there's just this sheer force of will that comes across. So for us, now that this year we are also screening films at the Portland Museum of Art, my thought was, you know, what could be better than to use one of those precious slots that we've got for screening there than to premiere this film. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. The most important thing you need to begin a personal evolution is heart. To start your journey, you have to take the first step with your eyes and your heart wide open, open to new experiences and possibilities. Without this openness, your efforts, your path toward growth and positive change will be fraught with obstacles that seem insurmountable. So if you find yourself looking forward to good things to come, open your heart and take a brave step toward the future. If you're interested in evolving your relationship with your money, get in touch with us. I'm here to help at tom at shepherdfinancialmain.com. We'll help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. 
Flagship Harbor Advisors, and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Dream Kitchen Studio by Matthew Brothers. Whether your style is contemporary, traditional, or eclectic, their team of talented designers are available to assist you in designing the kitchen or bath of your dreams. For more information, visit www.dreamkitchenstudio.com. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. It is interesting that um, at the same time you're celebrating diversity, you're also celebrating connection so that people will see films that are put out as main Jewish film festival films, and yet there's a universality about them. Um, And I know, Richard, this is something that you are very um, aware of because you've done work um, not only on artists, but you did work with... um, one of your pieces was called In These Times, and another was called Turning Clothing into Food. And those were two short documentaries on hunger, which is something that impacts all of us in, in one way or another. Right. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I guess I'm very interested in community and in, in issues that impact uh, people. And um, it's hard to realize that when you're living in a in an affluent place that there are people who are falling through the cracks. And, um, and we were very interested in, and my partner Melody Lewis Kane was very interested in um, the local food pantry and how can we help. And uh, so we collaborated with them to create a film that uh, has, uh, is about uh, hunger and about how food pantries can be of uh, great help in, in uh, helping those people who do fall through the cracks. I mean, people with uh, two jobs, um, working minimum wage, you know, can't make it with uh, a couple of children. So they need something like uh, a food pantry to be of, uh, uh, to supplement their diet. Um, And now the films have been showing in um, many of the places around, um, many of the theaters around uh, Maine. Uh, We had the uh, great fortune of uh, having Noel Paul Stuckey uh, contribute the the music and the title in these times um, to the film, and uh, he's a great member of the community that I live in in Blue Blue Hill. Um, so that film, as well as uh, um, the film uh, that we made for the Natural Resources Council of Maine, I'm very interested in in our environment, and uh, and I think the NRCM does a, an amazing job to uh, really protect the nature of Maine. So I became involved in that project. But I'm also doing, uh, you know, commercials and uh, um, f- politicals as well as um, um, commercials on uh, uh, different products. I, I just like the, the to be involved in a visual medium um, like film, and which is what uh, perhaps attracted me to making a, um, films about art in Maine. I mean, that really has become my life's work, 
and for that I'm, I'm very grateful to have that opportunity. And many of the artists happen to be Jewish. Um, and when I started this project on John Ember, um, it wasn't about a Jewish artist. Um, and it's uh, knowing that the film is part of the Jewish Film Festival, the main Jewish Film Festival, has made me begun to think about my own Judaism. Um, John's wife, Jill Hoy, who's a, a really accomplished artist herself, um, and has had a long history of being in, in Maine, um, she talked about how uh, John's Judaism was really deeply rooted in who he, who he is. So in the film, when they're looking through old family photos, um, they come across a photograph of John, nine years old, at a family Passover, where uh, there's Uncle Isaac and Uncle Herman and his grandmother, Michael Abbey, um, and uh, John is like a peacock in a way. He's, he's, he's hamming it up. He's stretching out his neck to, to, be, uh, to be photographed. And, um, and hamming it up is, uh, is who John is, in, in part. His, so Jill describes uh, John as um, his Judaism being deeply rooted in who he is. And let me just uh, quote what she says. Um, John asks, how so? And she says, well, your delivery, your being, your responsibility, your search, your quest for the integrity of what you do, I think there's a very deep root there. And it made me uh, think about, you know, well, who am I as a Jew? Or, you know, both of us, John and myself, we always thought about ourselves as being secular Jews. Maybe we were both bar mitzvahed, but it was almost more of a social event than it was a religious event. And uh, so it's something that uh, the film begins to, uh, to deal with. John actually has some very um, long history of having a very significant ancestor uh, by the name of Naftali Hertz Imber, who was the author of the uh, uh, Israeli National Anthem. He wrote a poem, uh, Hatikva, which means hope. And uh, it became the, uh, the words to the uh, Israeli National Anthem. And I do think that this is something that I find very interesting and something I think you and you and I talked about on the phone, Louise, and it's this idea of documenting, of, of really uh, making sure that things are not forgotten. And this is a big piece of what you're doing as you're bringing some of these films, like the John Imber film, to Maine for the Maine Jewish Film Festival. Tell me about some of your favorite films. Well, uh, um, I think it's important to bear in mind that all of these films come from what I would refer to as independent sources. In other words, these are not being made by a studio system. So um, they represent a kind of in independent spirit um, and from a huge range of countries. You know, we've got certainly Israeli films, um, uh, France, Germany, uh, these countries are represented. We're you know, we're really curating a collection that reflects an international sensibility. Um, in terms of favorites, it's a, it's a tough question. I mean, we've certainly got edgy films, uh, a film called The Gatekeepers, which was nominated for an Oscar last year, uh, which is a very, very tough look at um, Israeli uh, approach to dealing with terrorism. It features the heads of the uh, Israeli intelligence agency called Shin Bet. 
and they talk about their careers as the head of that agency and reflecting back on whether their approaches ultimately made sense in terms of peace in the world, peace for Israel. Um, and it's a tough film and uh, very similar in style to Fog of War in as much as it uses interviews combined with archive material. Um, so in relation to what you were just saying, yes, that's a document. I mean, we have cultural documents, uh, a, a very indie and very fun f uh, film that touches on music called Awake Zion that makes the connection between uh, reggae and Jewish music. and. Uh, explores the new reggae movement that exists in Israel where there's a very vibrant reggae scene, uh, but also connects with Crown Heights and, and uh, of course, a period of time when the Caribbean community and Crown Heights and the uh, Orthodox community clashed. Um, but then looking at the fact that there's now this um, kind of inspired fertilization between the two communities, in, in, musically speaking, and great film. Um, uh, we've got a, a German film called An Apartment in Berlin that looks at uh, the emigration of uh, young Israelis to, uh, to Germany, which for a lot of the older generation is really a bit of a taboo idea. And yet Israelis are drawn, uh, the, these you know 20-somethings, 30-somethings are drawn to a place like Berlin for all the reasons anyone would be. The, it's a cosmopolitan city. It's got you know wonderful quality of life, very lively, active place. Um, and and dealing with uh, Berlin as having been the the center for uh, the extermination programs during the Holocaust, uh, there's a big push pull there. So it's exciting to learn about what are these young people thinking and and what are their experiences being there and how are their families responding to them. Um, we've got we've we've got a Latina Jewish comedy. Uh, written and directed by uh, a, a young woman named Nicole Gomez Fisher, who's also an actress and a writer and a director, and um, stars Gina Rodriguez, who was, you know, one of the It Girls of Sundance about a year and a half ago. And um, it's a it's a comedy story about a young woman coming of age and dealing with pressure from her family about, you know, so when are you going to get married again? And what's, you know, where's your life going? And, and you know, that those universal themes, I think Jewish mothers exist in almost every culture. So um, so so here we see one that uh, uh, that part of the time is muttering under her breath in Spanish about her about her daughter. And in both of your cases, the, the image I'm getting is of someone who is curating, is someone who is creating some sort of story. I mean, in your case, Richard, you're obviously creating a story. You and I were talking about how the Imber film is going to begin and end, and it's still playing itself out, I think, in your mind. Um, Louise, you're talking about sort of creating a story around the main Jewish film festival. And it's, it's a very, it must be an interesting process to try to determine what do you bring in, what do you leave out, how do you place things? I, I want to emphasize about the Imbra film that it's not um, simply a tragedy, a depressing uh, story about uh, a great artist with uh, this, this terminal disease. But it's a, I look at it as a, a black comedy. Uh, John John's humor is um, is Jill calls it a borscht belt humor, um, but it's it's darkly uh, funny. Um, he's painting a scene uh, plein air out uh, in Stonington, and um, he asks, and Jill is helping him, and he asks Jill for uh, a little um, a cloth with turpentine, 
And she says, oh, that terp is deadly. And John says, oh, I don't mind deadly. You know, I'll, I'll do it. So all throughout the film is sprinkled with all this black humor that is just, it's totally uh, touching. And it talks a lot about John's humanity and compassion. And uh, I think that's what the film is more about than uh, simply his ALS. You know, the, the, this, this whole idea that you, you suggest of uh, sort of curating experiences, I, I think that's very much what a good film festival is about. Um, and when the public, when, when your audience develops that confidence that I'm going to go along for this ride, these aren't films that have had big marketing budgets behind them. They may not necessarily have, you know, not all of them can be promoted as having been Oscar nominees. But when they develop that sense that the journey that you're going to take them on is going to be one that's worthwhile, wherever it goes, um, and they trust you, they go along with you. And, and I love that, that experience of sort of sharing my enthusiasm for something with, with the public, with the audience, um, helping them to, bringing them to what I saw in that film or in that opportunity of, of observation to share that with them and then see what happens afterwards because we have, I mean, we're lucky that we've got Dick right here in Maine, um, but we're doing everything to bring as many filmmakers uh, to the festival as possible so that they can participate in Q&As after the films are run. Because this is, let's face it, you know, you can sit at home and watch films on Netflix or, uh, you know, on, on, on cable or whatever, but coming to a theater and sharing that experience of sitting in the dark and having uh, a, both a great visual and, and emotional and, and auditory experience, this is why we go to cinemas. And then to have the filmmaker afterwards or someone connected with the film or the subject of the film in some ways afterwards to be able to share what your reaction is, this is what people really savor. And we're offering as many of those kinds of experiences as we can. We've got filmmakers coming from Sweden, from Germany, New York, Miami, um, I'm, uh, we've Miami. got, we've, from Miami. It, it kind of goes to the, 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 the story that I told you on the phone when I relayed to a friend of mine in LA that um, uh, I had uh, joined the Maine Jewish Film Festival. He took a long pause and he said, there are Jews in Maine in <laughs> March? <laughs> and I said, yeah, not everybody's a snowbird, you know. So yes, we've got a filmmaker coming from Miami. Um, I just want to add that, uh, that not there's another reason to come to the Maine Jewish Film Festival other than the films and the talks afterwards, but it's got the greatest food at any <laughs> any festival I've ever been to. It was unbelievable last year the spread that they put out. I don't know where they get that from. Well, the Jews and food you got You got to have good food. I mean, it's it, it goes with the whole uh, profile. A little scene in the uh, the film about John Ember. He's got a bagel and locks, and he just devours that thing in his. A hamming it up kind of way. I'd like to find out where that term "hamming it up" "hamming it up" comes Since from. Since ham is definitely not, not kosher. Not kosher, but John, you know, he devours this bagel and lox with with such relish. So food is a very important thing, and and now it's become very sad that John can't eat anymore because he's on a feeding tube. So he related that to me. So it's you know tragic comedy. Um, and as as the festival, I'm sure is, it's got all the emotions. 
And that is something that strikes me, Louise, as you're talking about bringing together people who have watched the film and who have been emotionally impacted, we hope, by a specific film, and then people who have created the film, like Richard, you know, so that you can actually have a back and forth about that. I do believe that this is one of the one of the interesting things about Netflix, just to say, you know, that we are so uh, insular in our viewing of very emotionally challenging things at times. And wouldn't it be great to actually have the chance to, to have a conversation with somebody right after this has sort of opened up our hearts in a way? Well, you, you, when you mentioned documenting experience earlier, um, the festival is also uh, working with the Holocaust and Human Rights Center um, at UMaine Augusta, the Michael Clark Center, which is a beautiful facility. If if people haven't been to it, it's a it's a gorgeous contemporarily designed building and and a wonderful exhibit space and um, activity space. Um, and the, we're working with the folks at the HHRC to um, set up a conference on archive because. You know, Richard is using archive in his film. It's the personal archive, the family photo album, the scrapbook. Um, so many films use archive material. We rely on archive in ways that we're, it, it can be so subtle that we're not even aware of it. So um, we have a Swedish film coming to the festival that is uses some very unique archive. And it got me thinking in knowing these filmmakers and the kind of work that they're doing uh, in Malmo in the south of Sweden. I thought to myself, you know, there's, there's something about archive and our sense of identity and where that comes from. There's some links to be made here. So with the filmmakers' work as part of it, we're bringing um, the co-founder of Northeast Historic Film, Maine has here, uh, an actual world-class archive facility, Northeast Historic Film in Bucksport, um, who have done amazing work conserving and restoring uh, archive footage uh, from all around northern New England. Um, we have the National Center for Jewish Film at Brandeis University in Waltham, uh, which is, again, a world-class institution that is dedicated to uh, preserving Jewish film. Um, We've got a representative, the woman who's the co-founder and the executive director, Sharon Revo, is coming from uh, National Center for Jewish Film. We have the filmmakers. And then I think it looks pretty likely that we will also have a representative from the US Holocaust uh, Museum and Memorial in Washington, whose focus is on, um, she's considered the chief of the research section for the International Tracing Service, which is essentially an enormous database of German archive. So our theme running through this conference will be the role of archive in restoring and conserving identity. And that can be on the small, very personal, individual basis, having the photo of your, you know, your, your uncle Ira and, and being able to share that with your children and your grandchildren and tell a story around it. Or it can be for 
an entire culture for the state of Maine and the archive that we have about Maine's history. I know that we could keep talking about this for quite a long time. There's so many different strands that I'd like to kind of tug on a little bit and find out a little bit more about. Since we're limited by time, Richard, how can people find out more about Keen Lewis Productions and the work that you've done on Maine Masters and, and with the National Resource Council of Maine? And Well, the... Um the Maine Masters series is sponsored by the Union of Maine Visual Artists. And uh, the website for Maine Masters is mainemasters.com. <clears throat> and you can see um, on the front homepage, uh, there's a story about, about John Ember. And there are clips from every one of the films. There are 15 films now. Um, well, John's film will be the 15th in the series. And there are five or six more that are in various stages of production and fundraising and uh, distribution. So, um, uh, and then Kane Lewis Productions is my company that distributes uh, the Main Masters uh, documentaries. And, uh, and under th- that company name, we produce other films, uh, some about the arts and some about the environment and um, commercials. And, so, and that website is kanelewis.com. Louise, when is the Maine Jewish Film Festival. When does it start, and um, how can people find out more? Opening night is March 22nd. Our opening night film is The Jewish Cardinal. Talk about crossover potential between the uh, the, the Catholic and the Jewish communities and the uh, French-speaking communities of Maine. I think we've got some special guests coming, two Monsignors from the Catholic Church who will come to speak with uh, Larry Rubenstein, who I know you've spoken with. Uh, after the film. Um, our schedule goes live on our website on Friday, on Valentine's Day, and uh, the website is mjff.org. Uh, tickets are on sale through brown paper tickets, but also uh, for the screenings that are taking place in Waterville uh, at Railroad Square, in Brunswick at the Frontier, in the Ro- uh, Rockland area at the Strand, and uh, up in Bangor at the Bangor Opera House. Each of those organizations' websites will have their tickets available. And may I say that the film on John Ember will be on March 23rd, Sunday at 3 p.m. at the Portland Museum of Art. I suspect I will see you at the Maine Jewish Film Festival, each of you. I hope people who are listening will also have take the time to watch some of the films and interact with the two of you at the Maine Jewish Film Festival. We've been speaking with Louise Rosen, who is the executive and artistic director at the Maine Jewish Film Festival, and Richard Kane from Kane Lewis Productions and a filmmaker and producer of a film at the Maine Jewish Film Festival. I appreciate all the work that you're doing um, to bring this media to Maine. It's wonderful. Thanks very much. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate it. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. Sometimes I get scared. While it's difficult to admit to anyone, much less myself, there are times when what lies before me stops me in my tracks and makes me feel that I can't go on. That's when I know I have to dig deep, take a deep breath, step outside my comfort zone and move ahead. Each time I do that, I grow and learn something new about myself and what it means to not be daunted by fear of the unknown. I talk of this often with my clients by helping them understand that while some decisions can be scary and make you feel uncomfortable, none should frighten you into inaction. 
that only limits progress, and they should be seen as growth opportunities. A mantra we use at our offices at Booth is power through. So if something is holding you back today, my advice to you is power through. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. Each year, Maine is privileged to have a number of people show up and sponsor the Maine Jewish Film Festival, and also not not just sponsor the Maine Jewish Film Festival, but really take part and put it out there as a cultural event that uh, deserves recognition. Today with us, we have Rabbi Larry Rubenstein. He is a actually a retired rabbi, but very much a supporter of the Maine Jewish Film Festival, and actually someone who knows one of the characters in the film that's going to be featured at the Maine Jewish Film Festival. So thanks for coming in. You're welcome. Nice to be here. I shouldn't exactly say character because the person we're talking about is the Jewish cardinal, is a real person that really existed and somebody that you knew. Yes. So tell me about that. Well, there's a little bit of a history. I, um, I stopped being a congregational rabbi, a pastor, in 1978 and went to work for an organization called the United Jewish Appeal. United Jewish Appeal was the umbrella organization for fundraising for all of the major Jewish communities in the United States. So the local Jewish community here in Maine is, was part of that umbrella. And at that time, I was living in Philadelphia. And I went to work in New York. I commuted from Philadelphia. I went to work in New York for, an organi- uh, for a part of that group called the Young Leadership Cabinet, which was the uh, 300 men under the age of 40. In those days, men and women didn't mix together. And, uh, and I developed a reputation for being a really good programmer. Uh, and so I was there for four years, and uh, at the end of four years, you stopped being young, so I had to go do something else. And I ended up going back to Philadelphia and becoming the director of the Jewish Federation of Philadelphia, which was the third largest federation in the United States. And uh, because of my programming skills, the United Jewish Appeal sort of consulted with me on things every year. And uh, one of the ways in which the United Jewish Appeal raised money was it used to take missions which is groups of people that had uh, cognate interests uh, to various locations that had Jewish, uh, Jewish themes to them, and then on to Israel. And uh, I would always be the one that would come up with the ideas about what to do. And one of the things that I, I got an idea about was uh, the role of the French, Jewish, the French Jewish community and the French community during the Second World War to save Jews from the Nazis. Uh, although France gets a very bad reputation for being uh, being allies of the Nazis once once they fell, uh, uh, the Vichy government, uh, there were large pockets of people who 
didn't go along with that. And uh, one of the areas where that was true was in the Bordeaux region, the great one of the great French wine growing industry, uh, districts. And wine is a major interest of mine. Uh, I taught wine courses and everything else. But uh, there was a, a period of time when the people of the Bordeaux region during the Second World War did everything they could to hide Jews and to protect them from the Nazis, because they also didn't like the Nazis very much. Uh, the Nazis understood that if they could somehow take the wine industry away from France, they would break the back, the soul of the French. And the French knew that if they had the wine industry taken from them, their soul would also be broken. So they did everything they could to keep the wine industry out of the hands of the Germans. And they also, as a result, wanted to protect the Jews who lived in the Bordeaux region, who were very active in the wine industry, including a very famous family, the Roth Rothschild family uh, that owned Mouton Rothschild, which was one of the great vineyards uh, in all of France. And um, Edmund de Rothschild, who at that time was the senior person, uh, worked with the local community and probably they saved five to 10,000 Jews by hiding them in their chateau cellars, making believe they were working in the vineyards even though they weren't, and this kind of thing, and making believe they weren't Jewish. Uh, so the Germans wouldn't be able to finger them. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to take uh, one of these missions, these UJA missions, to the Bordeaux region of France to study what happened there and to work with the Rothschild family, who, all of whom had survived. Uh, and at that time, uh, Philippe de Rothschild was the latest in the, uh, in the senior people of the Rothschild family. And we got in touch with him, and we told him what we wanted to do. And he said, that's a great idea. He and I said, well, go to Israel afterwards together. Uh, and by the way, this mission was called the President's Mission. And the President's Mission were the highest givers to the United Jewish Appeal. These were people who give on the average of 100,000 or more a year uh, on an annual basis. And so it was a pretty high-level mission. And um, it was my job to program for this mission. I was from Philadelphia, but I was doing And we always had a few people from Philadelphia who participated as well. And uh, Rothschild, Philip de Rothschild said, you know, I have an idea. Why don't we go up to Paris afterwards and meet with uh, um, Aaron, Roth uh, Aaron Lustiger, so who's Aaron Lustiger? He's the cardinal. So we know him as Jean-Marie Lustiger. He said, no, well, you know, I knew him when he was a kid, so he's Aaron Lustiger. And he said, why don't we meet with him? Because he was born a Jew, and he's, a, he's still got loyalties to the Jewish community, and, and he, but he's a cardinal. And we'll go, to, go up there, and, and we'll have a meeting with him, and maybe we'll invite him to go with us to Israel. And that's what we did. And, uh, and Lustiger said yes. Now, all of this took place probably six months to a year before the film, the, the incidents in the film were recorded. And uh, we took his Lustiger to Israel, and he, he was a survivor of the Holocaust. He was a young man, I think he was 13 years old when, when the Nazis came to, came to France. And uh, he, uh, he, was, he never lost his loyalty to the Jewish people. He felt that he was born a Jew. Uh, he, had found, he had had a revelation about Catholicism when he was a young man. His father witnessed his conversion to Catholicism, never was happy with it, uh, but uh, still there was family loyalty that took place. And, and we talked to Louis DJ about going to Israel, and he said, absolutely. That was the first time he went. And when we were there, we took him to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial, and uh, he had a million questions about what was going on. And it was like he had discovered what really happened during the Holocaust. Well, he had personally been through it. He had not really, he didn't really know all of the information. And in Yad Vashem, he picked up a lot of the information. Now, this precedes by about you know, less than a year, the, uh, after he became cardinal, 
the, uh, uh, the, the desire on the part of a small group of nuns in Poland to establish a convent at Auschwitz, the, the great concentration camp, the biggest concentration camp, which of course roused the, the ire of the Jewish community. This was a Jew of a, a sort of an unholy Jewish place, but it was a very important Jewish place. And they didn't think that, a, and I don't think, that a, a convent belonged on that turf. And the question was how to not have that happen. And Lustiger apparently was a, a friend of Jean Paul II. And, um, he went to speak to him. We don't know exactly what the conversation was, but th what we do know, the movie sort of makes out that there was a conversation, but it was a made-up made conversation. Uh, that he, what he basically did is he said, look, you have to get the, the Polish Catholic Church to get rid of this. You, I, I won't do it. And, and so the question was uh, how to do that. And you had to, Lustiger had to go to his counterpart in Poland, the Cardinal of Poland, uh, and get him to withdraw this thing. And the Cardinal of Poland really wasn't convinced, as a lot of people weren't, that there really had been a Holocaust the way it had taken place. And uh, so there was an arrangement made where the two cardinals were going to meet. Interestingly enough, in the film, they identify where that meeting takes place. I don't know if you remember that, but it took place in Geneva, Switzerland, at the Rothschild estate in Geneva. Now, the question is, of course, you know, how did they get to the Rothschild estate? Well, Lustiger was friends with the Rothschilds, and that's how it happened. So uh, uh, what happened was the cardinal of Poland, who was reluctant to be there, as a matter of fact, they show that in the film where he's late coming, and, he, and, the, and his, his aides tell him he has to be there. And uh, what ends up happening is Lustiger says, you don't know what really happened to the Jewish people. You have to go to Yad Vashem. You have to see what I saw. And he finally gets the cardinal to go. And the cardinal comes back and says, I had no idea. And that was the end of the convent in, in, uh, in Auschwitz. And that's what, the, that's what the story's about. And my part in it is that I was there with him uh, prior to his having convinced the Polish cardinal that he should go. And we had a number of conversations. He was interested in Jewish history. He was interested in what the psyche of the Jewish people were after the Holocaust. He was interested in what the importance of the state of Israel was to the Jewish people. And I had those conversations with him, and I found him to be extremely well-informed, uh, very, very smart, um, and uh, very committed to both his Jewish roots and to his Catholic religion. And that's an interesting duality to be able to have, especially when you're that high up in the Catholic Church. Yeah, it is. And, of course, it caused great consternation for his parents, for his father. His mother died in Auschwitz, but uh, his sister accepted it and understood it, but his, his father didn't, never really did. And he was conflicted about it himself because uh, there were Jewish ritual prayers when his father died that he could not say because he was a Catholic. And uh, he always felt, apparently, now according to the movie, I don't know, I never talked to him about this, but he apparently felt very badly about it. Uh, and his father died after I knew him, so this was something that happened after his, his trip to Israel. But uh, uh, he was. He had some conflict about it in terms of the the two religions butting up against each other. But his Jewish roots and his his loyalty to the, the concept of the people of Israel was was there. The goal of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. I'm going to read directly from Black Elk, The Sacred Ways of, of a Lakota, 
my people, I call them earth people, never discovered anything because we are part of the fire and we're part of the rock and we're part of the water and green. So we never discovered anything or created anything because we are part of it. We know we are part of it because we are still connected to our roots. When I went out in the desert with my shaman, uh, I studied for four years out in the Sonoran Desert uh, with a shaman, and he would take me to the stone people and, and the grandmother trees, and we would call these spaces out, and, and we would go visit them, like, and, and we would feel spirit there. And it's important to realize that we bring spirit to a place. It doesn't just happen. We invoke that, and we can look at the world in a very sterile way, in a very perfunctory manner, or we can look at it with spirit and through the eyes of spirit, and it makes all the difference. I'm Ted Carter, and if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at tedcarterdesign.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast understands the importance of the health of the body, mind, and spirit. Here to talk about the health of the body is Jim Graderix of Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical. Hey, let's get festive. Lace up your running shoes or your walking shoes and let's get active. I want you to take a moment and think about the people in your life. How would they define being active? Is it training for a marathon? Or you like me, like to play golf on the weekends or hit the slopes? Or is it just getting out to the backyard for a change of scenery? My point is, it's your perspective. Regardless of what you define as active, we all need to take some time each day to make that happen. What's better than a three-hour long workout a week? It's 20 minutes every day of activity. It's good for your body and your mind, and the consistency can be good in helping you avoid injuries. For more information on how to stay active, visit us in Portland or Bangor or online at blackbearmedical.com. Black Bear Medical, keeping you active in the game of life with medical equipment, sports health, and rehab products, wellness products, and more. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. What you're describing sort of on this side of your life, and actually your life as a whole, is in such stark contrast to what um, happened during the Holocaust, where lives were effectively erased. People went in with a very rich cultural heritage and personal um, histories, and many were never heard from again. So is that part of what's happening with the Maine Jewish Film Festival? Is this attempt, and maybe in your life as well, is this attempt to almost live more fully, almost sort of reconstitute and, and have, the story, have the stories be told? Well, I, and that's certainly a motivation, certainly a, a motivation for me to do what I do. Uh, although I will tell you that I am more motivated 
in, in doing the kinds of work that I do and being involved as a, as a, a volunteer in the non-for-profit world, I'm more motivated by the ethic and ideology of the United States, which I think is unique. Uh, we're a unique country. Uh, one of the most important books I think ever written about the United States is Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy in America, uh, where he describes the importance of the volunteer sector in the United States and making it unique, and uh, the involvement of volunteers and volunteerism in fundraising and in support of not-for-profit institutions that uh, improve the community in which they exist, which doesn't exist in Europe the same way. Europe is much more government-controlled, uh, and as a result, nothing works right in, in, in Europe. Here, things work much better. Uh, and it's very important for us as Americans to be volunteers and to support volunteer institutions that function for the public good. And that's a major motivation for me, and that's what I tell people all the time. Actually, tomorrow, uh, Thursday, I'm doing a training session uh, for an, 10 arts programs under the auspices of the Maine Arts Commission uh, to help them do better fundraising so that uh, we can have stronger arts institutions in the state. And uh, I think that the uh, Maine Jewish Film Festival is going to that as well. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm very committed to this concept, uh, of this American concept of volunteerism. Well, I, and I do agree that volunteerism is very important, but I think equally compelling are the stories that bring people to volunteer. So that's, this is why I love the fact that you can come in and you can tell the story about the Jewish Cardinal. And you can actually, you, you mentioned to me when we were talking before that there's a Jewish film festival uh, relationship with the Kochmar organ. Yes. So these stories, I think, are, are just as important. Your ability to tell them, other people's ability to go and watch a film at the film festival, because I think that that really does draw people in. I think you're right. I think you're right. And uh, there is a, I, I'm very proud of what the Maine Jewish Film Festival does because it brings to the entire uh, community, not just the Jewish community, uh, a good piece of the Jewish cultural life. Uh, if you see any of the films there, it's not, it's not a religious, it's not a religious uh, festival. It has all kinds of attachments to the Jewish community. Uh, it could be through the state of Israel, it could be Jewish producers, it could be Jewish directors, it could be uh, Jewish subject matter. And I mean, I've had an absolutely fascinating time being involved with this. I mean, I can think of one particular uh, uh, young woman I met uh, who, was a, who was a director of a film that was produced about, she made it about herself. She was a film student at NYU in New York, but her family was from Israel. Her father, very famous man, Amos Alone, who was a, uh, a, a major political figure in Israel, uh, and she was his only daughter, and he, he and his wife did not have time to raise her. So he hired a, a, a male nanny to take care of her, and he was a Palestinian. Uh, because there are Palestinian Arabs that live in Israel as citizens, and that's what he was. And he and she grew up really more with this Palestinian Arab as a father than her own father. And he had children, and she identified with them as brothers and sisters. And then what she did is, uh, after many, many years, came to the United States and uh, tried to find all of those people, many of whom had come to the United States, including the, uh, uh, the father, you know, the ersatz father that she had. And she made a film about finding these people. And, and Robin and I, my wife and I, uh, went to dinner with her and talked to her about it. And it was just unbelievable to hear her story, you know, a person aside from the film that we saw. Then it turned out, and we thought for sure, her, her husband and her little baby were with her. And we were sure her husband 
She had married an Arab. We were sure of that. This guy was dark-skinned, and, and we just thought he was, she had met him in Israel, and he was Israeli Arab. It turned out that he was from Morocco, and his father was the chief rabbi of, of Paris. And he, so, you know, and we met the, all, we meet all these incredibly interesting people as a result of this film festival. Uh, we met a guy who was the director of a film uh, called the Hasidic Actors Guild. And it was about, uh, it was about, a, he made up, it was a, it was a fiction. He made this whole thing up. It was a comedy. Most people didn't realize it was a comedy. They thought he was making a documentary about this Hasidic Actors Guild, which didn't exist. And he was a riot. This guy was the funniest guy we've ever met. And uh, again, we got to meet him because of the Main Jewish Film Festival. So uh, we, we end up meeting all these unbelievably funny people, good people, smart people, creative people, uh, because of the film festival. And that's what the film festival brings to the state of Maine. Uh, and as I said, it's not just Jewish stuff. It's it's all kinds of stuff that Jews may be related to. So it could be a regular story. It could be a, a story. It was an incredible story. We uh, a movie we saw about a guy who whose father died and kept calling him from heaven on the phone. He kept getting these phone calls. It had nothing to do with Judaism. It was, it was a, but the, apparently it was a French film, and it was but it was it was directed by a Jew. So that's the reason that the film festival showed it. And uh, it was one of these very funny stories where every time this guy got involved with a girl, his father would call him and say, no, this is not the right girl for you, that kind of thing. So anyway, uh, we find it to be an illuminating part of the cultural life of, of Portland to, to go to these films. We don't go to all of them. We go to some of them. Or my wife goes to all of them. I go to some of them. Well, it's been quite a privilege to have you in talking to us today about a broad variety of subjects, not the least of which is the Maine Jewish Film Festival. But we appreciate your coming relocating to Maine and becoming a part of the fabric of the culture and doing the work that you're doing. Um, we'll be speaking with other people who are also involved in the Maine Jewish Film Festival, but if anybody would like to Google the Friends of the Kochmar Organ, the Portland Museum of Art, the Bicycle Coalition of Maine, um, any of these things, get more information about the things you're passionate about. I would really, I would encourage it. We've been speaking with Rabbi Larry Rubenstein, who is a retired rabbi and does so many things. Thank you so much for coming in. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for giving me the chance to talk about these things. You have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 131, Maine Jewish Film Festival. Our guests have included Louise Rosen, Richard Kane, and Larry Rubenstein. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Arm podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. Follow me as Bountiful One on Instagram and read my take on health and well-being on the Bountiful blog. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Maine Jewish Film Festival show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Dream Kitchen Studios, 
Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our online producer is Kelly Clinton. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is available for download free on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Thank you.